you may have guessed, we're going to talk about peace. Um, I had been uh, talking about the titles where I think live gratefully and then we were live hopefully. And so it was going to be live peacefully. And then as I was thinking through that, for some reason, to my mind, the title lives peacefully. It just seems to, at least to me, that seems to depend on sort of like everyone else. And so I just got away from that. If you like that title, you can call it that. But I decided to call it the life of peace which is a life to me that conjures up a way of living, a way that we do things, a way that we see things that brings peace from within. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The Bible tells us in Colossians 3.15 to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And Jesus says to us in John 14.27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So Jesus is promising a peace that's very different, and we're going to talk about that. Now, I looked up the definition of peace. I always like to see what a word means uh, to our culture and then compare that with a biblical meaning. And so a definition of, the, of peace, just you know, from the dictionary, is freedom from disturbance, quiet tranquility, or freedom from war or violence. And most of us would probably agree with the idea that basically peace is a lack of conflict, external and internal. But if that's how we view peace, then we're left with a conditional peace, right? Peace is dependent upon our circumstances and our situation. And we've touched on this theme before. If things are going okay, if there's no conflict, if everything's going our way, as Pastor Jamie said, then we're at peace. Now that's the way the world thinks. It makes sense. But if you're here and this is what you think, then you're missing out on a promise that God has for you. Because if you're a believer in Jesus, peace is very different. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Peace of mind is something we all want, but many times, if we're honest, we look in all the wrong places. And when we don't have a peace of mind, we feel depressed or we feel anxious, and so we worry And when we worry, we tend to get angry and lash out at God or those closest to us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about a peace that comes directly from God. And that's our topic. And we always want to explore topics this way. We always want to look at a typical understanding of a theme or a topic and what culture tells us. And we want to compare that to what the Word of God says. Because the authority in this church is Christ, and we're not left with shifting opinions of men to guide us. Amen? Instead, our guide is the living word of God, not our preferences or our feelings, not our emotions or our will. It's about asking God for his grace to help us live out his calling. As Paul commends us in Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. How are we filled with the knowledge of his will by reading the word? You know, I'm going to kind of uh, highlight the men's breakfast. We had Pastor Doug Cedarberg share. We had about 21 guys there. And if you missed it, you should check it out because it's always a great blessing. But Pastor Doug shared about how we should all want to be more like John the Baptist, who was remarkably unconcerned with everybody else thought about him. His concern and his living was for an audience of one. He lived to please God and to glorify him. 
And so too often as Christians, our goal is to impress one another, to make it look like we have it all going on on the outside, to polish the outside of the dish, and instead it should be to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Amen? And so this morning we're going to take a look at something everyone wants, yet few seem to find peace and peace everlasting. So Father, at this time we'll dismiss our kids to South Coast Kids. Lord, we pray your blessing upon them as they go and have church that your love for them be revealed, that your will for their lives be revealed, and that they fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. To feel like the situation surrounding them is unique, right? And there's a sense that this, tr- this is true. I mean, you know, the world changes and culture changes. And so um, that's, that's a, there's some truth to that, that statement. But there's also another reality. Ecclesiastes 1.9 says, What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. So the fundamentals, particularly with regard to people, to human beings, we don't really change all that much. Fundamentally, the core needs or need, as it were, that we have are the same, though the way we try to meet those needs may change. But the truth is, and you've heard me preach it week after week, we're all created in the image of God. Sin has tarnished that image for all of us, and only through Christ can we find our way back. And so God's word to us is not just living and active, but it is very much timeless. And it speaks uniquely and powerfully to all people at all times, to the very core of our being. Hebrews 4 verses 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's pretty deep, right? Discerning the thoughts of intentions of the heart. You ever read scripture and it just, you know, it hits you? We've said before, it's okay to be made to feel a little bit uncomfortable. We would never move. We would never change if there wasn't a little discomfort. And then verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's all of us. Paul Harvey, the famous American broadcaster, anyone know who he is? And now you know the rest of the story, like three people. Now I feel really old. (laughs) Anyway, he once said, in times like these, it helps to remember, there has always been times like these. There's always been a human struggle to to fill that void from within. So yes, peace is something desperately needed now. But it helps to remember that since the fall of man, this has always been the case. And it should encourage us that God is building his church, that the gates of hell will not prevail and the kingdom of heaven will come. Paul writes in Romans 14, 11, for it is written, Paul's quoting from Isaiah 45, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. That's every knee, that's every tongue, that's not just some. But until that time, we're called by Jesus to be peacemakers. In Matthew 5, 9. So we want to explore what peace is in the biblical sense. In the Old Testament, as we saw, the primary Hebrew word for peace is shalom. And it has a rich meaning. You know, sometimes the English words don't, don't quite convey the variety. It means harmony and wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare. 
It really refers to relationships between people. We see this in Genesis 34. Relationships between nations and first kings. And relationships between God with men. Particularly Psalm 85.8. And so there are different kinds of peace in the Bible. The Bible talks about a false peace. It talks about an inner peace. It talks about a peace with God. And it talks about a peace with man. Now, it's not surprising to find out that peace is sometimes counterfeited. counterfeited. Empty promises of peace from things that will leave us worse than when we started. Anybody? I'm the only one, huh? You guys are good. You see, the best peace the world promises is conditional. It's fleeting. And so it's ultimately a false peace. As Pastor Jamie said, it's a momentary pleasure. It feels good. It feels like it's a, it's a I've always said cheap, sin is a cheap substitute for something better that God has for us. That's my definition. I can't get away from it. Because it is. That's what sin is. It's a cheap substitute for something better that God has for us. And this momentary pleasure, choosing that over lasting joy, will lead to hopelessness. And that's what we touched on last week. This is why the Bible says in Isaiah 48, 22, there is no peace for the wicked. Not there is some peace, there is no peace. Our heart is restless until we find our rest in him. It's interesting to note that in Daniel 9, 27, the Bible tells us the Antichrist will come and confirm a treaty that will, that will uh, bring about a temporary peace which he will then abruptly shatter as he reveals his true colors. So even the strategy of the Antichrist will be to come as a peacemaker with a false peace. There's an enemy, there's a culture that promises the things that God promises, but they're counterfeits. And so we saw in the New Testament, the Greek word for peace is this erene. And the key focus of peace is the advent or the arrival of Jesus Christ. As announced by the angels in Luke 2.14. Very familiar this time of year. Peace on earth. Isaiah had predicted that the Messiah would be known as the Prince of Peace. And so it's only through Christ that we can have peace with God. And only that peace will keep our hearts and minds secure. Now as Pastor Jamie came up and shared a little bit, you know, and we've been friends for over 30 years now, and I, I'm pretty sure we share like parts of a brain. I know we read the same stuff, and, but it's all, I'm preaching on Philippians 4, just in case you're wondering, I'm going to come, uh, Philippians 4, 7 is going to be my first text, and so it's just uh, God confirms again and again these things because it's his church, amen? And I've said before, he's not going to let me or Pastor Jamie or any of us get in the way of the message he has for you, his children. Amen? And so our main text will be Philippians 4, and many of us know well, as Pastor Jamie read, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, you know, we, we read scripture and sometimes, you know, it, it seems removed from our experience. And so for me... Whenever I read this, all I can think of is when my father was sick with cancer. And there was a point where we knew that the, the medication was not going to work. And I remember him having this conversation, almost asking for permission, you know, saying, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop the treatment. You know, kind of asking the family. And, you know, he had fought and we knew. 
And I remember, you know, my father had been an atheist his whole life. He'd only come to faith about four years before he got diagnosed. So we already had this amazing sense of God being at work. I was sober and in a program, so I was able to, to process this whole thing with him. And so we were, we were praying for each other, and we were, we were going through this difficulty, and my father would sit every morning in the garage with my sister, and they'd have a little devotion, and they'd light a candle. And I remember my brother-in-law talking to me, and he's saying, you know, it, was, it wasn't fair for a million reasons. My father was only 56, worked out his whole life, all that stuff. But we had this peace, this peace in the midst of this, this amazing difficulty. Now, that doesn't mean we didn't hurt. Jesus wept for his friend that he knew was gonna, he was going to raise from the dead because Jesus saw his friend's mourning. That, those two words, Jesus wept, says a whole lot about our God. But it didn't mean the absence of mourning, but there was this presence of understanding that there was a God who was in control, who was bigger than the circumstances, who had showed up with his grace and mercy in our lives, and he was showing up then. And I remember one of the last conversations my father had, I, I can almost remember verbatim, but he said, you know, I worked hard my whole life. I did the best I could. He said, this wasn't my plan, but if it's God's plan, I'm okay with it. He said, I had a good life. I raised some good kids, and I'm ready to go home. And I thought, that's the peace of God. That's not just the stuff you read about. Because in the world, you're 56, it's not fair. And all those things, they're true. I mean, those things are true. But eternity, compared to this little blip that we have now, is incomparable. And so I just wanted to share that because we read this sometimes and we think, yeah, the peace of God which surpasses understanding. Okay, but then when, you, when it's present in your life, when you understand true hope and true joy and true peace, when these things come from within, you realize, like C.S. Lewis said, if people ever experience for a moment real joy, they wouldn't exchange it for all the pleasure in the world. But pleasure is so often easily available to us and joy not so much. You see, these things, we have to delve into the word of God. We have to have a relationship. And we've said before, information is not going to bring you to a relationship. Information's helpful, and that's how you learn about the character of God. But until you're in a relationship with him, until you're walking with him, until he shows up in your life and you see this, this, this relationship, this intimacy, then it's just words. It's just information. And we've said before that discipleship isn't about information. It, it has, that's an element of it. But discipleship is about heart change. We're not what we think, we are what we love. So this is a piece that transcends understanding. It's bigger than understanding. It can't intellectually be explained. It doesn't make sense to the world. The Bible says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Everybody called the fool for Christ? I tell people all the time, people say, aren't you ever afraid of looking stupid? You know, you go up there. I said, are you kidding me? I look stupid most of my life. I, and then nobody thought I was stupid back then. I was an idiot, but everybody thought it was, they celebrate that stupidity. I said, if for the rest of my life I look stupid for Jesus, amen to that. I'm a fool for Christ. So we will see together in the verses surrounding this that Paul deals with the subjects of peace with one another of peace within and of peace with God. Because peace in this sense, it means a completeness. It means a wholeness or a healing or a restoration, a relational restoration. So peace means being in a right relationship. 
Peace with one another, being in a right relationship with one another. Peace within means being okay with who you are. And peace with God means being okay with God. Now, if I were to ask you right now, if you felt at peace, I maybe would get some different answers. There's a pretty good chance that most of us would answer that question based upon what's going on around us. How are our relationships? How's our health? Are we struggling financially? Here's the difficult truth. Our lives will never be conflict-free because of the system of a renewed mind is against the system of a depraved mind. That's why Paul says, I keep doing all the stupid stuff I don't want to do, all the stuff I know I should do, I don't do. Wretched man that I am, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Let's turn to our main text, Philippians 4. If you find it in the church Bible, uh, you can yell it out. 1177, thank you. And the first thing we're going to look at is peace with one another. Paul tells us we need to be considerate about, and we need to be at peace with one another. Now, I know that's not the attitude of a lot of people today. In your workplace, there's a good chance that most people there aren't concerned with peace. They're probably not concerned with looking out for what you want or even what's best for the organization. The reality is that our world says look out for number one. That if you don't argue and fight for what you want, you're never going to get it. And so we're supposed to be, you know, looking out. It's, it's have it your way. That's the culture. But in the church, fortunately, things are very different, right? We're all Christians saved by the grace of God. And since we have that in common, we always get along and we never disagree, right? <laughs> Wrong. We do disagree. Even though we're all Christians, even though we all love Jesus and want to serve him, there are times we disagree. In fact, one of the things I love about our leadership team is that we're so different. You have some very young people like Becky on one side. You have very old people like Gary on the other. (laughs) Sorry, I had to pick on him. But we have very different backgrounds and experiences. and, And all these things add to the richness and the diversity. Now, the leadership team isn't me or Pastor Jamie. We say what's going to happen and then everybody falls in line. No. But it is a team that seeks unity. We talk about and we pray about. And we ask the Lord to show us the way forward that's his way so that we're united. I don't think in the 20 years I've been part of the church we've ever voted and said, well, four of us think this way. No, you seek the unity of the spirit. You you seek seek what's best and it's of of God. You're going to move forward. Now, that doesn't mean everyone's going to agree. We're looking to buy a building right now, and I've talked to many of you. And I've heard people say, well, we should go to the bank and we should borrow the money we need and, you know, we can pay the mortgage. And I've heard other people say, we should just pay cash. We should wait until we have the money or not buy it at all. Some people think, no, we shouldn't even build. We should stay here. Things are perfect. I don't want to change. I like it. We're good. I've heard people say to me, you know, you give a little bit too much money to missions. I mean, you know, you guys are very generous. You give a lot. And I've heard people say, you know, we're not giving enough money to missions. We need to give more. I've heard people tell me, I don't preach enough on stewardship. I should be encouraging people to give more. And then I actually had one person tell me now in 20 years, I think the person's been here twice, but I've literally heard them say, you know, it seems like every time I go there, all you talk about is money. (laughs) Okay, maybe the two times you came. Now, this should not surprise us. 
Because almost everybody has opinions on almost everything, even in the church. And so the question then becomes, what do we do when we see things differently? Do we allow that to cripple us? Do we say, well, we can't agree, so I'm not going to do anything. Do we allow it to cause dissension and division? Or do we move forward prayerfully, realizing that some people are going to disagree with whatever course we take? For Jesus' ministry, he got a cross. And we expect for our ministry that we get crowns and book deals and accolades. So the Bible gives us some some guidance on this. It teaches us that one of the ways for the church to solve the problem of diverse opinions is to select elders who are in tune with God and in tune to the needs of the congregation. We do that. And as they seek God's guidance in the decisions that have to be made, we ask that you pray for us, that you get behind us, that you support us. But let's look at our text and let's read what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 2 and 3. He says, I plead with Eoda, not Yoda, but Eoda, a little bit different. Yoda was not that in the Bible. So. I plead with uh, Eoda and I plead with Syntyche, <coughs> excuse me, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, it's interesting. Here are these two women. Both of them, it seems, committed Christians. They work side by side with the Apostle Paul, and here they have a disagreement. Now, we don't know what they disagreed about. It probably doesn't matter. But here we have Paul writing a letter to the church at Philippi, and he's dealing with some pretty heavy issues in this letter. And in the midst of it, he seems to put something that's so personal that he could have said, hey guys, let's off to the side. Camille, let's huddle. Let's talk about this. But no, Paul puts it in the Bible. He puts it in this letter. Why write so publicly in a letter that millions have read now for nearly 2,000 years? I wonder. Well, maybe it's because it's important that the church communicate to the world that we handle disagreements differently, that we're able to find common ground and work in harmony with one another. Now, it's interesting to note what Paul does and what he doesn't do. First of all, he doesn't take sides. Paul doesn't say, Syntyche is right and Iota is wrong. He doesn't pull rank. He doesn't say, look, I'm the apostle. You guys are, you know, you're workers, but I'm the apostle. So this is how it's going to be. And if you don't agree with me, hit the road. Doesn't do that. In fact, he encourages them to find common ground when they agree. And he says, I plead with you to agree with each other in the Lord. How many know that this walk is way bigger than you? It's way bigger than me. It's way bigger than South Coast Church. We're not trying to build an organization. We're trying to be part of the kingdom of heaven brought down here on earth. Amen. And I love when I meet pastors with that kind of a heart. I think of Pastor Ken as just every single Sunday morning, Pastor Ken texts me from CFC with a scripture and an encouragement every single Sunday morning. Because his mind, you know, I'm, and, you know I'm, I always respond to him and I, I always want to get ahead of him. But, he, you know, he's, I can, can you imagine the heart that he has about to preach to a thousand people, got all his stuff going on, all the things in his head. I'm like up here in like last five seconds, I'm like, oh, we didn't put this in the sound and I'm trying to think of everything. And this guy's heart is for the kingdom and bless you, brother. You preach the word of God today. That's a heart for the kingdom of God. 
And so Paul's saying, look, you need to agree with each other in the Lord. This isn't about you. This is about being uh, a salt and light to the world. That's why he said in Romans 12, 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Now, I know it's easy to blame everybody else all the time. You know, if every time you go somewhere, there's always conflict, I don't know. What's the common denominator there? I'm just saying it. Maybe, maybe it's not every place you've ever worked. I don't know. Right? As far as it depends on you. Now, I understand, and Paul understands, that you can't always be at peace with everybody. That sometimes, no matter what you do, there will be that tension, that disagreement. But I think if we're honest deep down inside, we could do a heck of a lot more than we do. Amen? So there's something else Paul does here. He appoints a third party to intervene. In verse 3, this person's called a true companion. We don't know who he was, but what we do know is that he was a peacemaker. And remember that Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. There is nothing that Satan would rather do than divide the church, especially a growing church where lives are being transformed. You know, I was meeting with a district superintendent for our denomination the other day, and he sat down and we, we talked and prayed together. We do it, you know, every so often. And he said, you know, just so you know, and he said, I've told you this before, but what you guys have is special. He said, most of the churches in the denomination are not growing. In fact, they're shrinking. Most of the churches are closing. Most pastors are looking for other jobs. What you guys have is special. God is working in this place. Lives are being changed in this place. And we're all, we get to be a part of that. We get to witness that. But when people say to me, you know, does God still do miracles? Show up on a Sunday morning. You see, Satan wants to cause division because then he can cripple the church. And the goal of the church is to be effective at getting out the good news about Jesus. So it's important that we pledge to one another and to God that we won't allow ourselves to be used as pawns in the hand of Satan to divide his church. That as we serve together, that we will seek peace with one another, that we will seek unity in the Lord. That we won't always agree. But that's the problem with the world today. It's a consumer mentality. Well, you know, this church, I like the curtains better at this church. And, you know, I, I like the music better at this church. And, well, the pastor's better looking at this church. And, you know, and wherever you go, there you are. Still, you know, unhappy and still incomplete. Secondly, Paul talks about peace within. Listen to verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Does it say sometimes when you feel good? When things are going great, because that's easy. I mean, praise the Lord, I hit the lottery. Yeah, we get it. How about praise the Lord in the midst of a storm? How about praise the Lord in the midst of an illness? How about praise the Lord in the midst of a great loss? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. How many people, if you ask them, hey, describe Christians to me, they'd be like, those people are gentle. They probably wouldn't say that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And, you know, we like, the, we like the last part. Everybody wants the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Everybody wants that. We're like, sign me up. But you got to go back. Because the first word Paul uses is rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it, rejoice. Be gentle. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, and with thanksgiving, bring your prayer requests to God. So now it moves us from an act of how we think not to worry, trusting God, to now something we do. Because God wants you to have true peace by praying about everything. That's an act of doing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, yet let your requests be made known to God. All things in your life are of concern to God. If they're of concern to you, they're of concern to God. The things that are concerning to my children are concerning to me just because of that reason. I don't look at it and say, well, that's, that's a silly thing. What is she worried about that for? I mean, no, because if it concerns my children, it concerns me. Now, I might say to them, you know, that's not really that important, or, you know, I might redirect them, but the fact of the matter is I'm going to address it. And I'm not a perfect father, right, Amelia? Close, but not a perfect father. And God is a perfect father. We just sang about it. Good, good father. So if we and all our failures and, and faults understand that concept, then how much deeper is that when you say, well, you know, I mean, I used to think all the time, and, you know, especially in the midst of my struggle, like people would be like, well, you need to pray to God. And I'd be like, if I was God, I would not. I would be like, dude, kick rocks. Seriously, you're, you're a mess. Get out of here. Like there's people that have real problems and real diseases and there's kids with cancer and you're a schmuck and you've had every opportunity in the world and you keep messing up. Beat it. That's what I would say to me. Be like, yeah, no, I'm click. But God doesn't do that. And if you think he does that, you're not listening to the voice of God. You're listening to another voice. And if the enemy can keep you from bringing your prayers to God, he's already defeated you. And my friend, God bless him, would always say to me, who cares what you feel? He always talking to me, I feel like this, I think this. Who cares what you think and feel? What does the truth of the word of God say? And that's why it's important that we know it. Because that peace of God will guard our minds. That peace of God will strengthen us. Because of the cross, we have access to the throne of God. Which is why it says, with thanksgiving. Why? Because the cross is a proof of God's faithfulness. In case you ever get to the place where you question God's goodness or his faithfulness or whether he keeps his promises, you just look at the cross. And then everything should come into pretty clear view. That this God, as Paul says, who did not withhold his son, why would he withhold any good thing from his children? In the presence of God, there is peace. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all peace, with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Patient, practice the presence of God by prayer because it is in prayer that we are transformed. Now, I don't know how you felt as you came to church this morning. Sometimes we're here and everything's going great. And we're praising the Lord and we you know, get to see our friends and everything's good. But probably most of the time, we don't come to church feeling that way. Probably most of the time, we were on the fence whether or not we were even going to show up. I mean, I got to show up. 
you know, I get paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. Is that what they say? Something like that. Whoa. Sorry, Lord. It's a joke. Probably most of the time, we don't come to church feeling that way. You know, I think of like small groups and community groups. The times where I'm like, man, I don't want to go. Like, you know what, you guys, I'm just going to, you know, I'm tired. You can always come up with an excuse, right? And then as you, as you walk through it and as you realize the times that you feel like you don't want to go and those times you push through and you show up, doesn't God bless you? And doesn't you say, thank you, God, that you dragged me here against my will? So that Aeschylus quote, then suddenly comes wisdom by the awful grace of God, that expression. Sometimes God pulls us, and we're so thankful. So next time you think, I don't want to do that, realize this is a blessing that God has for you, and the enemy's trying to keep you from that blessing. Did you come to church this morning carrying a heavy burden? Did you come filled with worry? Is there a problem in your life that doesn't seem to go away? Do you feel guilt and shame because of ongoing sin in your life that you're wrestling with? Maybe you're concerned about your finances, you're frustrated, you're trying to accomplish something, just doesn't seem to get it done. Whatever the reason, here we are together. Paul's words directed to all of us who carry burdens. And you know, it's important to realize that as Paul writes these words, he's not sitting comfortably in an ivory tower. Paul's not enjoying retirement after a long and arduous ministry sipping cappuccino on a beach. Things are not going great in Paul's life as he writes this encouraging letter to others. Paul's in prison. He's facing trial. Paul may soon be executed. And yet in these verses, Paul writes for his hearers a formula for developing peace within. You see, it's not some some idea that's separate from reality to Paul. He says, don't be anxious about anything from his prison cell, but in everything by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. In other words, what he's saying is, don't worry, let God handle it. Now, somebody's observed once that worry is the Christian's most popular sin because we don't even try to disguise it. Worry is so common, we're not even particularly ashamed of it. We come to church, we sing all the right words, and then we leave church and we forget that God is with us. We forget that we just sang about him being the Lord and the King. And we take all the burdens that we left in the midst of that song and we left at the altar and we grab them at the door and we drag them right back out with us. And then we wonder why we worry more and more as we get older and older. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. So do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things 
and your heavenly father knows you need them. Now, Jesus isn't saying, you know, you don't have to, you know, work. He's not saying you lay in bed and, well, I'm not worried about anything. I don't have to worry about food. No, that's not what he's saying. And that's why he says the pagans run after these things. He's saying, don't let those things be the primary focus of your life. Don't let that be what you're going after. Because like Jamie said, it's never going to be enough. Instead, Jesus says this. Because he says, your heavenly father knows you need them. But seek for us his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I read somewhere once that 80% of the stuff we worry about never comes to pass. 80% of the stuff we worry about that has all this, you know, all this space in our head, it never happens. Futile worrying. Jesus said it's all futile. Someone once said that worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended you to have. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then finally, peace with God. Verses 8 and 9 are verses we need to read very often. And we touched on this a few weeks ago. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. You want to have peace, God wants you to meditate on what is holy. It's an act of thinking. Romans 8, 6, the mind of a sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and peace. Psalm 119, 78, I will meditate on your precepts. The precepts of God, the word of God is truth, purity, and excellence. So Paul's saying to us, here are some filters. Everything you hear, everything you see, pass it through these filters. And if it doesn't get through, then don't let it dwell. Don't let it reside in your mind and in your heart. There's an old saying, garbage in, garbage out. Paul's saying, look, if it's not true, don't welcome it. If it's not noble, if it's not right or pure or lovely or admirable or excellent or praiseworthy, don't let that find a home in your heart. And if you do that, you will have peace with God. God wants you to have true peace by putting into practice what you have learned. He wants you to trust him for everything, Philippians 4, 6. The alternative, the alternative is to worry, is to be anxious about everything. He wants to pray to him for anything and finally to meditate on what is holy. Do you remember the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples following his resurrection? The disciples are in the upper room. They're fearful from their lives. Their leader's dead. Their future's uncertain. You know, imagine that. You're a follower of Jesus. You're expecting him to come as a conquering Messiah. Your status is going to be elevated. He gets nailed to a cross and killed. How discouraged would you be? These guys are there filled with anxiety and worry and uncertainty and Jesus appears in the midst of them and the first thing he says to them is peace be with you. 
the very thing they didn't have is the very thing he offered. And he offers it to each one of us today. And so do you have it? Did you come into God's house with it this morning? Or did you come in carrying burdens that were too heavy to bear? And more importantly, are you going to leave those burdens? Or are you going to continue to carry them? Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. They have forgotten about who I am and what I've done in their lives, and instead they've dug their own cisterns. They've become reliant on themselves, on their own methods, on their own therapy or chemical or relationship or whatever it is. And the truth is, we will never find lasting peace apart from him. And God made it that way. John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus promises us peace in him. It's his presence alone that guarantees our peace. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. I'm going to close as the worship team comes up. And I read this. Maybe some of you have heard it. But it's the prayer of St. Francis, who's a Franciscan monk. And he says this. Lord, and let this be our prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I might not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to loved. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Please stand as we worship together.